on this episode of Why Watch That. This someone looks at Henry and says, wait a minute, you can't come to me looking like that. You look like a criminal. Mm-hmm. And not a smooth one. <laughs> you know, that brings me back to the Moonwalker Ooh. video game. You remember yes. that, producer? Yes, yeah, you could moonwalk and kick people. <laughs> yeah. Now, when he and Amy meet, they become friends. She shares some egg salad with him, and we know from Big Top Pee Wee that's important. There's <laughs> <laughs> a crackhead who they lock up. He's like, hey, you don't want to lock me up. I know who did that shooting. Every other cop is like, yeah, all right. She's like, what now? <laughs> Come again. <laughs> hey, she's going to sprinkle some crack on them. Just like Gollum <laughs> sprinkled them crumbs on Samwise. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, give him that sprinkle. <laughs> <laughs> He's living there with his mama, Linda Eamon, making him eggs and bakey. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. No. Yeah, put him in Kill Bill. Let's see how he survives. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> The Crypt. The Tales from the Hood is completely different. Let's not get into that. I can't even say <laughs> so what was in that ridiculousness. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. You know, the, the, my favorites are when the Crypt Keeper has his wig on and you don't know and he turns around and starts laughing. <laughs> everybody does this in movies and TV shows. You wake up and huff and you go to the kitchen and, you know, get something. <laughs> I've never done that before. Maybe you I'm have. I'm saying in real life, I've never done that either. Never, never gotten up like that, you know, in a sweat and go, let me, let me walk myself to the kitchen. <laughs> Welcome to Why Watch That, your guide to the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. We're on a quest to go from channel to channel, platform to platform, and festival to festival to help you figure out what you want to watch. We do all the work so you don't have to. So get ready for some unexpectedly candid and entertaining reviews that will help you answer the ultimate question, why watch that? Welcome to another episode of Why Watch That, where we help you navigate through all of the content that exists to find stuff that you love. I'm Brandy, the producer, joined by... Chauncey, the critic. I feel like I've said this before today. Yeah. Is it? Is you it see these people up here? <laughs> <laughs> this is our third mm. time doing this because of these people. Oh, goodness gracious, stream y'all. Guys, listen. We're on YouTube now, and we use StreamYard, if you guys don't know, to record, but <laughs> they doing something. They doing something. But you guys could watch us on, why watch that, YouTube, or listen to us still on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other places where podcasts can um, be consumed. Yeah. So, And that's why watch that dot com. Yes. Got to be careful out here with these people now. That is true. That yes. is true. And we appreciate yeah. everyone who is listening and watching. We really do. Thank you. Yes. My goodness. Yes. Yes. All right. So we're going to get in. We're going to get in. We got a mixed bag ready for you guys today. We got some movies. We got some TV. 
And um, it's kind of based on this little holiday that's coming up. A little known holiday called Halloween. Mm. Um, we're going to tap into, into our suspenseful, spooky, disturbing content that exists in, this, in these uh, streaming streets. So we got movie first looks brought to us by Netflix. And the first one is The Stranger. So, credit. Who's in it? Who should be watching? What is it about? Well, okay. It is directed and written by Thomas M. Wright. It is based on a book by uh, Kate... How do you say that? Kiriaku, I guess. Mm. I had to look that up. I like that last mm. name. And it's starring Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a true crime kind of thing. Uh, infamous case uh, from our friends in Australia. So, okay, it's based on a true story, and here, here, here we go. So Henry, played by Sean, an asthmatic smoker, meets Paul on a bus. Henry helps Paul. Paul recommends Henry for a job. Henry doesn't do violence. You know how I loathe violence. <laughs> Is it that kind of thing, or does he mean it? Then Henry meets Mark for the job. Paul couldn't make it. Mark tells Henry something about Paul that Henry can't tell Paul about. What's going on? Who are these people? Mark then introduces Henry to someone very important. And this someone looks at Henry and says, wait a minute. You can't come to me looking like that. You look like a criminal. Mm-hmm. And not a smooth one. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that brings me back to the Moonwalker oh, video game. You yes. remember that, producer? Yes, yeah, you could moonwalk and kick people. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> All you youngins, if you don't know that, I'm sorry. That's so sad. Now, is it? <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> this is when, friends, you could only walk left to right on the screen. <laughs> okay. Let's come back to this because this is this is nasty stuff. This is this is not a joke at all. So okay, we have this important guy. This is some sort of criminal element. But here's the thing: Mark and Mark is played by Joel has an ulterior motive. What is it, and how does Henry fit inside that? Because it all goes back to eight years prior, so to 2002, because their present time is 2010. And it's an infamous child abduction case. They haven't cracked the code. They don't know who did it. They don't know the perpetrator. Could it be Henry? Mm. If so, maybe Mark, who, by the way, is undercover and who has a young son. Well, is he going to find out by gaining Henry's trust? If so, at what cost? Because as they get closer and closer to each other as friends... Henry might have some, you know, some surprises up his little sleeve, which will prove unsettling, but not in the way you might expect. This had my attention from the beginning. It did. I mean, it's a slow burn. It, it feels like a thriller or a horror movie, like an indie sort, but it's not. But I think that was a great choice. I think that was immensely appropriate, is what I would say, because... <laughs> It might be a bit too long, but 
there's a reason for that. It's because what you really start to feel and not just understand is what it takes to catch a, a killer. The kind of dedication it is, the care, the attention, the, the guts, the nerve to do this. And they're not just reveling in the act like some other true crime stuff also on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really appreciated. They take true crime and make it art. Now, Sean Harris wrote the book on playing squirrely. No one can do it better than him because he's not playing a villain per se. He's playing a guy. You, I mean, it's just perfect work. And then you have Joel who's straddling the line between undercover and this criminal stuff. He has this home life. Like it all clicks into place. They are well supported by the rest of the cast, by the production. I think everybody here not only looks right, but also has the right kind of a temperament. The comportment is correct. So if you want to watch this, I would say if you like Mr. In-Between, but you take away the humor, this might be for you. If you like Denis Villeneuve's work, like Sicario, this might be for you. Also, True Detective Season 1. It's really around that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's it. There we go. Chilling, but not in the way you would expect, necessarily. Okay. All right. Yeah. Netflix also brings us another uh, show entitled The Good Nurse. So, what is this? Who is this good nurse? Who should be watching? What is it about? Yeah, who is this good nurse? Because, you know, with nurse? the good nurse comes what? A bad nurse, always. Well, you know. A lot of people don't yeah. understand that language is comparative. You know, to have one thing, you have to have its opposite or you have neither. The Why are we talking about this? Now, <laughs> another true crime movie here. And this is directed by Tobias Lindholm, who directed a couple of years ago, uh, directed Another Round, which had Mags Mikkelsen in it. It's a Danish film. It's on Hulu, I believe. And Mads, play, Mads uh, plays a teacher, and he has a group of friends, and they all agree to, like, drink and see what happens. Like, go to work, buzzed. Interesting premise. And Tobias really is a great documentarian of that kind of stuff. So the question is, how good is the story for his style to really amplify it? Or essentially just get out of the way and tell the story. So, you know, I really did enjoy Another Round. I think it was one of my favorites from 2020. What about The Good Nurse? Now, The Good Nurse stars Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne. Whoa. Two Oscar-winning actors. Yes, and the screenplay is by Christy Wilson Cairns, and it is based on a book by Charles Graber. Here's what happens. We start. We meet a Charles, a nurse Charles, played by Eddie. He's the first one in the room when a patient is coding. He's distraught. He calls for help. The help comes in. He just goes to the wall and is like, I don't know, falling out or something. Any a nurse? Shouldn't he be in there? What's going on? We then shuttle forward in time and we meet Nurse Amy. Now, Nurse Amy, of course, is played by whom? Jessica. And Amy is essentially new at this job. She hasn't been there a year, which is important because that's when certain benefits 
uh, kick in and she needs them. She has two daughters at home. You know, as a nurse, you're not home a lot. She has a nanny taking care of them and all of that kind of stuff. Also, she has a certain problem that would require the help of these benefits. Now, she's a great nurse. She's, you know, the kind of nurse that comes in and knows who you are and makes a little chit chat, will break some rules for you in the service of her patient. Uh, one patient uh, just recently married. So they're newlyweds of three years, but they're old. They're some old people. Okay. So it's kind of fun when she comes in and says, hey, how are the newlyweds? And they smile and, you know, that kind of thing. So we start to see how she's a nurse and she lets the husband stay over. He's not supposed to be there. And she gets into trouble in quotes because her supervisor's like, hey, Amy, come in here. Let's talk. Because the supervisor's like, look, we are not a hotel. I get it. But we don't have the coins for that. Every penny is accounted for. But here's what I'm going to do for you. I found some pennies, scraped them together so we can get another nurse to help you out. Who's the nurse? Nurse Charles. What's Nurse Charles doing here? It's a different location. Now, when he and Amy meet, they become friends. She shares some egg salad with him, and we know from Big Top Pee Wee that's important. <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring some levity to this. Oh, man. <laughs> so, okay. And, you know, they'll help each other out with their patients, that whole kind of thing. But. People start dying, these patients, inexplicably, like from insulin. Why is there insulin in their bloodstream? What is happening here? And Amy had another patient who was essentially comatose and she would have to, you know, flip her on her side, you know, so you don't get bed sores, that kind of thing, which shows us why she had some issues she has to take care of. What happens to that patient and others? And who's to blame? Well, the two nurses here, they each worked with another nurse separately. And Amy reaches out to her and is like, hey, tell me something about, you know, old boy Charles. What's happening with him? Did you hear anything about him? Did he do anything that was untoward? And some things start spilling out. Because this is either the ninth or the tenth hospital that Charles has worked in. Why? And there have been suspicions. Are those suspicions correct? The FBI gets involved. And Amy is trying to save these patients, even though she needs to save herself. Charles is very concerned for her health. You know what happens if you wake up and, you know, you got an IV going and he's sitting next to you. <laughs> you might get a little <laughs> nervous. <laughs> so can they catch him? It, should he be caught? And so on. And uh, by the way, the two FBI agents here are played by Nandi Asamwa, the great NFL star who's now acting, and Noah Emmerich, who was the neighbor in The Americans. Yes, the FBI agent in there as well. Oh, yes, he was. Hmm. Now, this is matter of fact and presentation, which I didn't mind because it was tense until the end. They kind of lost it there. And it wasn't a lot of fuss. Also, everyone's doing their jobs here. For Jessica and Eddie, they are doing straight up acting. This is not ostentatious. It is what the script calls for. It's like this. If you take one of the storylines from Five Days at Memorial, that show on Apple TV Plus, if you've seen it, just take one of them, make a movie out of it. But it's not 
the impact is a bit milder, I would say. That would be this. Because it's just a simple story. It's straightforward. There isn't much to even tell once you figure out what's going on. So there's no big revelation. There is no huge payoff in the end. Uh, I guess somebody could do this, producer. They could delve more deeply into why all of those hospitals just let him go. What was the mechanism of that? But I don't think there's enough there to do a whole movie. Could they have added it here? Maybe. Would it have added much? I don't know. So this is where Tobias's style, it works in certain ways, but they may have needed somebody to bump it up a bit. But I don't even know if that works because the story just isn't, it isn't that much to it. But what they have, they do well. I will say that. So if you're interested in just classic true crime, let's say, this is probably it. This isn't like artistic true crime, like The Stranger. So you have one and the other that Netflix is providing. Some people might like both. Some might like one or the other. If you don't like true crime, you know what to do. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. So next up, we have our TV season finales. And we're going to delve into the one of the critics' favorites. Power Book 3, Raisin Canaan, season 2. Um, that's brought to us by stars. And if you haven't heard, it's going to be renewed for a third season. Critic, what did you think about how season two ended? And will you be watching season three? Um, okay. Now, <laughs> this is by far the best power show. We all know it. Even if you don't know it, you know it. After that, it would be the original power, I guess. Number two. Well, yeah, it would be. And then the others. Um, every time. Power Book 2. We need to all join hands and pray. Because <laughs> <laughs> these Power Book 2 people, they need the support of the entire industry. They need acting coaches and, you know, writing coaches and just anybody who can lend a hand. <laughs> Help the people out. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about them or four. We're here to talk about book three, three. Raising Canaan. Yeah. Now we know producer from season one, Canaan's mama rock. And Canaan, if you don't know, was played by Fiddy in power. This is his story, the character story when he was a teenager in the 90s in Brooklyn or wherever else they are in New York. And his mama is, you know, a drug dealing crime boss with aspirations. So there we go. Now, she asked him to do something at the end of season one. How dare she ask him to do something like that? And this involves Omar Epps' character, the detective. Okay. Now, because of this, things spill over into season two. Kanan starts to develop a relationship with the detective. Why? Remember, it was alleged that he was Kanan's father. What comes of that? And his relationship with his mama, with Rock, it starts to fray. Now, he's been begging, put me in the family business. She starts agreeing in season two. But is that enough? Is the question. Not so good in the end. It turns into he's not even living with her. She's buying a new house and all this other stuff. He don't want to be in it. He wants to be with his friend Famous who's living in, you know, this apartment that they can't pay for or keep up. Because Famous's mama kicked him out. You know, and then he meets a little girlfriend there and her mama and cheats on her with the mama. It's power. <laughs> it is power. <laughs> Sound crazy. <Okay>. Yeah. 
So that's what's happening with Kanan. Is he going to be in the family business? Is he going to do it his own? Well, we know he is. Is he going to do? Is he going to do it his own way? What's his route to that? And what in the world is going on with the detective? Now, the detective has a partner, and this partner, she really wants to get down to the business of who in the world shot him, even though he keeps telling her, forget it. Her chief is doing that. She don't want to listen. So much so that she's listening to crackheads. Yes, she is. Literal crackheads. Because there's a crackhead who they lock up. He's like, hey, you don't want to lock me up. I know who did that shooting. Every other cop is like, yeah, all right. She's like, what now? <laughs> Come again? <laughs> hey, she's going to sprinkle some crack on him. Just like Gollum <laughs> sprinkled them crumbs on Samwise. Mm-hmm. <gasps> You know, give him that sprinkle. <laughs> so she's listening to him. And this man, give him an Emmy nomination for guest actor or something. The penultimate episode, I believe that's what it was, producer. Uh-huh. They look, they took him to New Jack City and and good old Gator <laughs> from Jungle Fever. Now, we can't reach the heights of Samuel L. Jackson as Gator, one of the greatest performances in history. We mm. can't do it. You know, okay. Where's the Reverend Doctor's TV producer? Where is it? He smoked it. Mama, sm- <laughs> Mama smoked the TV. I smoked oh, the Lord. TV. <laughs> okay. He ain't there, but he was going for it. Okay. New Jack City, prom queen of King High School. This is beneath me. Well, <laughs> you reach it down beneath you to get it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it might be beneath you, but you found it. so he was going for that and the issue is with all of her prodding and prying people might be prodding and prying into her and she don't know it and the crackhead becomes attached to Rock's older brother so Marvin has been going through anger management in this season has he needed it you'll know for yourself if you watch remember In season one, his daughter, well, she essentially came out to him. He tried to knock her back into that closet. Mm. So, you know, she's done with him. He's in anger management. And, you know, he's flirting with the teacher of anger management, of course. You know, she's flirting back with him. It's power. If you are teaching an anger anger (laughs) management (laughs) class, do you want to fraternize with the <laughs> yeah, he's making great strides. And they use it throughout the season. I did like that they use it where he goes, wait, hold on. <laughs> let me let you go ahead and do it. So this crackhead, he's got to deal with him and what comes of it. We learn that this crackhead, I mean, at one point he had a future. He was handling rich people's money, but now he's smoking it. Whew. Now, speaking of Marvin and his daughter, well, we know that she had her own trials and tribulations. Now she's done with her father. The mother has was nowhere to be found. She walked out on them when she when, you know, she was young. Well, she's decided, done with dad, let me go find mom. And she finds her. It's Latoya Luckett, yes. From Destiny Ooh, Child, Destiny the original. Mm-hmm. Okay, you be saying no, 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 no. When it's really when it's yeah, really yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. They need to pay Wyclef again for that. He should get royalties in perpetuity, not just for that song, but for the entire catalog. Because without that, we wouldn't have the Destiny Child that we know today, and we wouldn't have a Beyonce that we know today. 
Remember, if you uh, weren't aware, um, some of the Beyonce fans who may be younger, when that started, nobody was listening to them. It was that remix. This is the remix. The remix. Yes. Yeah. That's the original one, yeah. that slow thing. It was no. With that dark video. Wasn't it like red and black and stuff in the video? It was, yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. They took them out to the street corner and started speeding that sucker up. And then Beyonce's whole rap singing career began. Yep. And thanks to Wyclef. Queen B is now. Boy, I know you want me. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> yeah. And no one well, knows what else she said after that. I don't remember. <laughs> just don't know, I just know the rhythm. I don't know the words. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, uh... <laughs> So, I don't know, even know how I got there. But there we go with that interlude. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh yes, Latoya Luckett is playing the mother. That's how I got there. That's how we got there. And, (laughs) (laughs) look, she's playing the mother. I'll give it to her. Now, she finds the mother. The mother is heavily in the church. Heavily. What's that going to mean? Is she going to embrace... Her daughter or brace her daughter. Oh my god. You wait till you see some of that. Look. I don't know. Are they throwing holy water on the like okay, you'll see. It's power. I you you can't make this stuff up. Now, she's also been dealing with this detective's partner. Like all of this stuff is all like all mixed up. And she has a warning for that detective because she learned something. Mm-mm. mm-mm. Now, there is also Rock's younger brother, one of my favorite characters, even though I have a lot of favorite characters. I like Marvin the older. I like Lou. I'll get to more people I like. I like Omar always. Patina is a great actor, even though I don't like that character. I don't think you're supposed to, actually, but I'll come back to her later. So Lou's trying to get out. Kanan wants in. Lou wants out. Lou just wants to do his music business stuff. But can he escape his sister is the question. Now, remember, he ain't no punk, as Thomas Jefferson Bird told us in Clockers. My father was a preacher. Sure. And when I... <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Spike Lee and Clockers. Thank you for that. <laughs> Regina Taylor coming in there and letting them have it. Oh, man. So... <laughs> he ain't no punk. Mm, mm. But he does not want to be doing this. But Rock has a confrontation with him, and she's like, Look, I own you. How's he going to take that? Mm. And speaking of Rock, let's go to her. She is trying to expand the business. That's her whole thing. Okay. And she has two avenues one is this dude she meets who has distribution in other states, like in Maryland and so on. She wants a piece of that. And he is, you know, an esteet. He appreciates caviar and fine art. But he'll slit your throat and let it bleed on that caviar and fine art. So watch out. Mm-hmm. And he's showing her the ropes. Now, he has this sneaky little lieutenant who's looking side-eyed at everybody. And Rock notices. Now, she also wants to expand into New Jersey. Let's just start there, the neighboring state. 
but you can't just do that. Whose territory is it? The mobs. Mm. She runs up against them. But in lieu of a confrontation, there is a go-between. Someone who already has a relationship with the mob in New Jersey. It ain't Tony Soprano, by the way. This is different. And that person is unique. Played by Joey. Bad, you know what. I don't want the censors coming after me. Joey is just, I think this may go down as one of my favorite characters ever played by just a person who is enjoying it and understanding it and just going with it. Joey is like, give me the chinchilla, whatever, put me in whatever ridiculous outwear and, you know, just please. This man, every time he shows up, I start laughing in a good way. It's so enjoyable. Okay, my texture is the best fur. Chinchilla is what Jay-Z told us. Mm -hmm. That never would have happened without Wyclef, though. <laughs> we never would have gotten that song. <laughs> so, okay, so Unique is there. But remember, Unique used to be the rival of Rock. He tried to kill her. She tried to kill him. So whose side is he going to take? The New York, New, New Jersey, sorry, mob? Who he has a connection with? Or... Her, when things fall apart, he brings them together. What's going to happen when they fall apart? Because they do. And this is going to spill over in, into New York. So the New Jersey mob has to go to the New York mob for permission. Does anyone else? And the New York mob is represented by the great Tony Danza. I love the, the casting. And look, somebody needs to award the casting department of Raising Canaan. This is the engine of the show. They will help us go past bad writing, whatever, because it is always casted beautifully. Of course, Tony Danza. I wouldn't have thought of Tony, but why not? Mm -hmm. And I saw Tony on Broadway years ago. He can act. And the Iceman cometh. Yes, he can. I was like, Tony Danza, you better. He was breathing and everything. Okay, <sighs> give him Tony. I think they're bringing back Who's the Boss producer. Oh, I think really? that was in the trades. Yeah. He and mm -hmm. Alyssa Milano, I think they're coming back. There's okay. a time for love and a time to da. You know, I hope Judith Light is involved as well. Hmm. Yes, because at the end was you. Now, he pops up. What's he going to say about all of this? And in the end, it's on. We have a war breaking out. That's a lot. Was it all worth it? Because it was a lot in this season. And when we got to the final episode, you know, I thought to myself, producer, hmm. This might be their best episode ever. I, wow. And that would mean of the entire Power franchise. Mm. It might be. Because wow. everything... you After watching the final episode, you go, oh, I see the whole plan of your season now. I see why you put all of this stuff in here. Even little characters where you go, okay. They use it. It was just great to watch. It was entertaining. It was ridiculous as it should be. They executed perfectly. I think that the writing was actually good. Again, structurally and just written-wise, they had jokes thrown in. Like Rock says, not here, not there, not anywhere. Electric slide? It's the 90s. <laughs> here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the kind of entertainment that we want. Please. So am I going to be watching season three? Yes. <laughs> they They hit a climax here, I do have to say. I love a lot of these characters. And what I really do appreciate is they have women in power without writing. I'm a woman in power. You do not need. Now I'm saying lowercase power. 
-hmm. You do not need to write that. We can see it. And then we have the room to fill that in ourselves so much more interesting. We don't have Patina Miller going, will you say that because I'm a, I'm a woman? Will you say that to a man? She says it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my mind, she would if she had that line. <laughs> Why are you talking to me like Because I'm a woman. <laughs> if it were a man, would you say the same thing? <laughs> These writers are better than that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Because that, that confrontation between her and Lou, where she's like, look, I own you, it has an extra sting because she's a woman without saying it. She don't need to say it. It, it just adds something extra. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm done. In scene, yes. In scene, all right. And yes. No more I references no more until references. the next one. <laughs> Look, we got to keep y'all entertained here. Yes, we got to be yes, just yes. as entertaining as Raising Canaan. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be saying no, 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 no. <laughs> when it's really yes. No. <laughs> yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. All right, guys. This might be a good time for a coffee break. Um, What does that mean here? We, I think we've had too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll call it a, a warm, soothing a drink break. <laughs> maybe maybe a chamomile tea to calm us down. Yes. But uh, Buy Me a Coffee is a platform that Why Watch That is on where you can support the work that we do here. Um, you can support us by simply giving $5 um, or purchasing the TV tracker guide um, at buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that. But really, guys, we appreciate any support that you have for us. So something as simple as a like, a share, a comment, um, or a subscribe is appreciated. Uh, but if you want to do like the critic sometimes says, support us with the things that fold versus jingle, um, buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that. That's how you can do that. Now, now Hulu brings us in commercial. <laughs> <laughs> now, Hulu brings us our next um, season finale TV show called The Patient. Um, it's a mini series. So, Critic, how did uh, The Patient end? Mm. That's a good question. <laughs> oh my God. We're back to stuff where it's like, oh gosh, why? Now, this is not true crime. No, this is no true story. Mm -hmm. You know, they brought that real world back, producer. They reunited them because they're doing these reunions oh, I've heard on Paramount about Plus. This. Yes, yes, yes. I've heard this. <laughs> no, no, no good. <laughs> no bueno. That I think I'm too old for that stuff. I'm like, <laughs> y'all like y'all older than me. And you acting like this. I can't. Oh, anyway. So the patient. Now, remember, producer, this is the one that stars uh Steve Carell as a therapist. Right, yes, yes. Yeah. And it's brought to us by the creators of the Americans. Mm -hmm. So you go, okay. And Donald Gleason plays the patient. We also have Linda Eman coming in as his mama. Mm-hmm. We have David Allen Greer coming as coming in as the therapist therapist. Mm -hmm. How does all of this work? Now, remember, 
Steve Carell again is the therapist. He gets this new patient. Okay, the patient has some troubles. He's a killer. Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> that is, and we talked about this before, producer. That is from the upcoming Lord of the Rings opera. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. That's... Yes, that is not being written, but in my mind's <laughs> eye, it, it is. is a thing. Yes. yes, and that could be a whole sequence. Murderer, 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 murderer. Can't you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Give Gollum his due. We have a Gollum chorus. Oh you know they did a musical of it that flopped in the West End. They did of the Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, they did. Let's that. do the opera. You got to go beyond that. Anyway, okay. somebody take that and run with it. You can even have what I did. I started the song for you. Hey, listen. Well, that's the chorus. Now, <laughs> just tag us in it. <laughs> another way to tag us in the opera (laughs) (laughs) okay all right you can tell it's late everybody now (laughs) so you know they're having this normal therapist patient relationship but the patient gets impatient he's like look i got i gotta get some help and the way i'm gonna do this is i'm gonna knock out this therapist and chain him to a bed in my basement. That's what I'm going to do. So Steve Carell comes to, realizes where he is and what's going on and how does he react? Because to get out of this, he's got to help this dude stop killing people. Now, while he's in this basement, he keeps killing people and then blaming him for it. He's living there with his mama, Linda Eamon, making him eggs and bakey. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. No. Yeah, put him in Kill Bill. Let's see how he survives. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. <laughs> this isn't true crime either. Okay, thankfully. My gosh. So that's the challenge, of course, for this therapist. Can I get out of here? He's shackled. Whew. Now, what we really come to find out is this is actually a show producer about fathers and sons and mothers. That's really what it's about. Because Steve Carell's character, his wife recently died. He's grieving that. His son, he and his son, they're estranged. His son has grown up with a family. Estranged? Why? It's all about the Jewish faith. I'll say that much. And he also has a grown daughter who is not estranged, loves her father. Now, what happens when their father goes missing? The mail is piling up. They can't find him. That's out of character. They just lost their mama. Ooh. So he really needs to get out, not just because he's shackled, but he needs to repair his relationship with his son. He's thinking about that. And what happens is he can work through certain scenarios and problems with his inner therapist, who is represented by David Allen Greer. So we see them exchanging in a therapist-patient relationship. How does that help him? And then on the flip side, we have Donald's character, the patient. He needs to work through some stuff with his father, but how? Because his father was a piece piece of work. Keep in mind, the apple does not fall far from the tree. So in the end, hey, something's going to have to happen. I mean, there's a moment between David and Steve where, you know, Steve is like, look, I'm not going to be staying here forever. And David's like, no, you certainly are not. But Mm. how does he get out? Mm. 
you know, when I first reviewed this show, producer, I said, it's good, but it needs more, right? And I don't even mind the length of the episode. I like shorter episodes. It's just what you're delving into, they needed to go deeper. So did they achieve that in the end? Not quite. The show, to me, is the fathers and sons and mothers. When they hooked into that, and really they did that well in episode eight, where we saw uh, Steve Carell's son's perspective, then it started blooming the show to me. Because mm-hmm. I really wasn't that captivated by Steve Carell and Domino Gleason, their whole interaction. Acting is great. Just wasn't that interesting to me because I'm not shocked by humanity. I'm clear on what humanity is. So like they're doing a comment on humanity, on therapy. I'm not sure it's the comment they wanted to make, though, the one I received. Because mm-hmm. I don't do this. Oh, your father did that to you. No, that's your father. <laughs> of course he did that to you. And of course you're going to be doing that because that's your father. You see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's fine overall. If they had changed the balance, I would say at least half of the 10 episodes, they could have done more of what they did in episode eight starting there. And it would have been a bit better to me. Um, you know, fine, fine work. Nothing is bad. I just wanted a little more from them. But if you haven't started watching it and you're interested, I would say do it. It's, it's going to give you enough to warrant that, you just might feel a little empty in the end. Just a little. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's promising. Um, now, so far, producer, what are you going to watch? Let's Before we move on to the final section here. So you have The Stranger, you have The Good Nurse, you have Raising Canaan, and you have The Patient. I have to pick one? You get to pick one, that's right. I don't know. I think the stranger's calling me. Wow. Now, I keep telling you to watch Raising Canaan. Yeah, I know. I know. You know me. It's that commitment thing. Mm-hmm. Um, ten episodes versus one movie. I think I can manage well, the movie. Well, in, in two seasons, though. So you have <laughs> right, to start yeah. 20 episodes. <laughs> but you can do it, you know, at your own pace. Yeah. Yes. But the stranger... Oh, in, okay. You so really want to go between there. the movies, it would be the mm-hmm. stranger. Mm-hmm. And if I... Yeah, I mean, I don't. Raising Cana seems. I mean, the patient seems interesting too. But if I had to pick, I think it would probably be Raising Cane and mm-hmm. Power Book Three. Well, especially with how much you love Gator, you got to make it to the end of the season. Yes, I have to. I love Gator. He's one of my favorite characters ever. This man, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah okay. What's What's next before I go back to him? And <laughs> <everything>? <laughs> the prom queen of King High School, and everything else. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna head into TV sneak peeks. <laughs> And this one is brought to us um, by Netflix, too. Netflix has a lot of content right now. Um, this is uh, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. <laughs> and because I don't know how to pronounce this dude's name, I just call yes. him GDT. Well, look, um, that's just that's the between, double L is a yeah. Y. He's going to put you in that cabinet. You can play it around with that name. <laughs> Listen, he's like GDT. We cool. Okay. So that's <laughs> GDT's cabinet of curiosities. Okay. Yes. Um, and this is, like I said before, brought to us by Netflix. And it is a collection of stories, right? A collection of stories. But they didn't just release these all at once. They wanted to do something fancy. So they decided to break it down. So literally, you get two episodes over the course of four days, um, from the 25th through the 28th, they're releasing an episode. And uh, when I read this, it reminded me of a progressive dinner. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what a progressive dinner is, 
<laughs> a progressive theater is things that they do in suburbia. So like there's like a neighborhood of people who get together and they plan a dining experience through everyone's house. So some household takes the appetizers, another takes the no, one takes the drinks, somebody takes the appetizers, another one takes the main, you go to dessert, then you go to the after dessert. And it's like this like fun little, you know, neighborly progressive experience. So I think that that's what Netflix and GDT was attempting to do um, with, <laughs> I'm making that stick, <laughs> making, <laughs> trying to do with the cabinet of curiosities experience. Yes, because they're both horrific. You're exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. So great metaphor. <laughs> both are nightmares. <laughs> so yes, Guillermo del Toro uh, curated this collection. He wrote some of them. Some of them are based on his short stories and others. He actually co-wrote the screenplay, but he's not directing here, unfortunately. Come on now, Guillermo. Award-winning director. Come on now. So he's like the Alfred Hitchcock here doing Alfred Hitchcock Presents or mm. our favorite, The Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt. Keeper. <laughs> Tales from the Hood, was that the The one? Crypt. The Tales from the Hood is <laughs> completely different. Let's not get into that. I can't even say <laughs> so what was in that ridiculousness. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt. You know, the, the, my favorites are when The Crypt Keeper has his wig on and you don't know, and he turns around and starts laughing. <laughs> Bring that back. They brought back the Twilight Zone. You know, Jordan Peele did yeah. that. Did it work? Well, you know. Why not? Just I'm make down. sure. All I need is the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, I agree. Just those intros are great. You don't even need the content. Just, just do a whole collection of Crypt Keeper intros. I'd watch now, that. Guillermo, or GDT as you're calling him. <laughs> Is closer to Alfred, not to the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> we didn't put him in a wig. I know. Uh, I wish they would. They should spin him around with a wig. <laughs> now, I'll come back to that point later. Okay. And you're going, what? You will? All right. So, I'm going to go through all eight as quickly as I can to give you a flavor and then talk about the whole thing afterwards. So, we start with Lot 36. And just think Storage Wars. So we have Tim Blake Nelson playing the lead character, and he's a military vet who has not gotten his due, but he's going to get it. He's going to blame certain people for it and go after it. He don't care who you are, and don't ask him for anything. Like, there's a lot that he already has that he won an auction for, and a woman had it prior to him and was like, I didn't know they were going to auction it. Can I just get, like, my family photos? No. Next. Will he regret that decision? And then it comes to Lot 36. Now, the previous owner we see at the beginning of this episode just drops down dead. Why? And the way that he gets this, these lots is he's in cahoots with uh, the storage unit's uh, employee, the one who's in charge. So they're running this little scam. How do they interact? So he gets this lot. Now, because he has this connect, they know what's happening via camera footage. And the previous owner, before he walks into this lot, he like hops around, does a dance. Look, if I see that, I'm not going in. Okay. Then she don't go in, as Willy Wonka told us. Mm. I'm not going in if somebody's hopping around every time they go to some lot before they walk in. What's in there? <laughs> he don't care. 
And what he finds is very valuable because he owes money. Mm. He's going to go get it. And he finds people who are experts in what he's found and they value it. It's a big, it's a boatload coming to him. But at what cost? Mm. This is a cabinet of curiosities. This is a horror show. Mm. So this is all about stepping over people to get what you're owed at what cost. That's the lesson here. Oh boy. Mm -mm. Now, after watching this first one, producer, I was like, Ooh, oh, what a great beginning. If it's all like this, I'm in. Yeah. I mean, it was well acted, of course, with Tim Blake Nelson, who recently played Buster Scruggs from the Battle of Buster Scruggs, also on Netflix. You got to watch that. That's the first vignette in that movie. Him coming in. I'm telling you, don't mess with him. <laughs> you got ghosts singing in that and everything else. So here we go with Lot 36. Just beautifully acted, well-constructed, well-produced. No complaints. Then we go to its companion on the same day released, which is The Autopsy. Now, by the way, uh, when we release this episode, six of the eight will be available. The other two will be available the day after we release this episode so everybody knows. So in The Autopsy, there's the sphere. What is it? And some man runs into a mine with it and blows everybody up. Now, as a result of this, of course, you're going to have to pay if you're the insurance company, but only if the deaths were as a result of something that uh, was a part of the work that they needed to do. If it wasn't, they ain't got to pay. So they want an autopsy and they call in someone to do it. And this someone is played by F. Murray Abraham. Yes, the man who brought Salieri to us in Amadeus. If you haven't seen that movie, what are you waiting for? It's a classic, one of the greats. Please, he played it on Broadway. The man knows what he's doing always. When I see him, I smile, even though he's always doing something nasty. Mm. Is he doing that here? And remember, he was the friend of Saul in Homeland, maybe his foil. That's F. Murray Abraham. And then you add Glenn Turman to the mix as the sheriff here. Glenn Turman, yes, from a different world, Colonel Taylor. But remember, he was the science teacher in Gremlins. Mm -hmm. Smiling around with them Gremlins. Mm. <laughs> Are there any Gremlins in this? Mm. So they meet up because he's the sheriff with these bodies. You know, F. Murray Abraham comes in. We find out they're old friends. They haven't seen each other in a long time. And F. Murray Abraham has to go to work. And what he finds? Ooh. Now, before he goes to work, you know, he's a gentleman. He, you know, announces himself to the bodies, talks to them respectfully. Quote, he says, I apologize for the indignity, friend. If it's any comfort, I'm right behind you. What? Mm. You're right. What does that mean? You're right behind a corpse? Mm. What's going on with him? And eventually what we find is this is a lesson in hubris. Who's hubris? I won't tell you. This was two for two, producer. Two for two. Mm. When you say F. Murray Abraham and Glenn Turman, you can't go wrong. Remember, Glenn Turman was also in the final season, the last season, I should say, of Fargo. And when he left, that season left. Mm. They should have made the whole thing about him. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, yes, let, let's keep going. Great opening. Second night's episodes. The first is the outside. Now, what does that mean? The producer's thinking foliage and, you know, whatever else. 
<laughs> you wish. <laughs> so what happens here is we have a character played by um, Kate Machucci. And she's a bank teller, you know, but she's not clicking with her colleagues. There are a bunch of women who just like to gossip and talk about spending their husband's money and getting, you know, beauty treatments and fillers and everything else. This woman likes to, you know, like skin animals and do stuff like that. Now, she has a husband who loves her, played by Martin Starr, who was in Freaks and Geeks and, and so on. So is she going to stick with her husband who loves her or is she going to try to be a part of this clique? Well, you know. And one day she has the opportunity to get in with this clique. They invite her to a secret Santa party. What? What's she going to bring? So she gets there and she finds that it's a not-so-secret Santa. They all know what the gift is supposed to be. It's supposed to be one gift that everybody gives. She didn't get the memo. So what does she give? I told you what she liked. But she gets the lotion. And everybody except for the host received. The host took her <laughs> gift. Oh, well. And this lotion, oh, you put it on. It's rejuvenating. You know, no, you know, make your skin baby soft and smooth. But what's her reaction to the lotion? Mm. But she has to keep using it. She's told to do so, in fact, in Requiem for a Dream fashion, like Ellen Burstyn, looking at the television. And the person who's telling her to keep using it is Dan Stevens' character, yes, from Downton Abbey. Mm. He's like, oh, put, that, put more lotion on. You need more. You need more. Mm. Mm. Husband is mortified <laughs> she keeps going she's like no you don't know you don't know and what happens in the end mm -hmm. so you know this is all about the cost of beauty the price is it worth it and who's going to pay the price let me tell you that and in addition to requiem for a dream what came to mind was the stuff Yes, that classic B movie. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it to believe it. <laughs> and this, that the stuff has one of my favorite characters because that little boy, he refused to eat that stuff. The family was saying, "And when you're going to eat it?" You know, everybody was trying to get him to eat it. You know what he did? He went right into that little bathroom, opened the medicine cabinet, and ate some shaving cream. That is the kind of hero we all need. Thinking on his feet. Woo. Also. Ghostbusters 2 comes to mind with that stuff that came out of the pipe in the bathroom. Yeah. And old boy in the painting and all of that stuff. Oh my God. Mm. Now, is this good or not? I'm going to tell you this. You got to watch it until you get to a classic song that's used all the time by a band called Hot Chocolate. Mm -hmm. Now, this isn't sexual chocolate. It's a real band, you know. They were famous some around the 80s or something. <laughs> and hot chocolate gave us you sexy thing. I believe in miracles. <laughs> Where are you from? You sexy thing. Sexy thing. You, you know that thing. How do they use that in this show? They slow that thing down. They take away the background music. I, look. It was so effective. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, it's like watching that thing from 
Ghostbusters 2, you know, strutting down the hallway to oh. do you sexy thing. <laughs> so, the first four episodes were a success. Uh, mm-hmm. This one is probably my least favorite of the four, but so what? Mm-hmm. It was still mm-hmm. successful. And then we get to the remaining four. Now, episode number five, day three, Dreams, oh, sorry, before that is Pickman's Model. Now, this is, we're taken back in time, you know, and we're in a art class. There is a star student, uh, and this star student is played by Ben Barnes, but a new student enters the class. And, you know, this is the kind of formal art lesson with the teacher there, and they're harsh, you know, got to make the cut. And this teacher is all about, you paint what you see. Well, this new student played by Crispin Glover, he ain't seeing what anybody else is seeing, I'm going to tell you that. It disturbs our star student so much. So much so that he tries to avoid this man for the rest of his life (laughs) and his art. But will Crispin let him? Now, remember, Crispin was in Ben. Ben, Ben, the two of us need look no more. Beautiful song for a nasty little movie. Maybe those rats from Ben went into the graveyard rats in this show. <laughs> uh-huh. See, the producer's now thinking about all the Michael Jackson songs that she loves. I am. I love Michael. It's music. So, <laughs> so Crispin Glover. He ain't no stranger to no horror. But how does it work here? This one was my least favorite mm. of the five. I think the idea wasn't potent enough or scary enough or entertaining enough. It just didn't land, regardless of what the actors were doing. The values were there. I just think the story wasn't enough. And it's paired with uh, Dreams in the Witch House. And both of these come to us from H.P. Lovecraft. I just don't think I'm a Lovecraftian person. No offense. Mm. I just don't. Like, his stuff to me isn't profound. You know, he has a very negative outlook on the universe and humans. I get it. It just doesn't resonate to me it just seems like whatever but anyway what about dreams in the witch house so this is featuring twins their kids a sister and a brother the sister's ill the brother has promised her i will protect you can he well she dies she becomes a ghost he sees the ghost chases it but he can't go all the way to the realm of the unliving he grows up to be rupert grint yes from harry potter He's still searching for his twin. And he has a sidekick in the society they're going through to see all of this occult stuff. Is there a real person who can reach out to the dead and so on? And this sidekick is uh, played by Ishmael Cruz Cordova, who is now one of the elves in Rings of Power and was one of the boxers in Ray Donovan. So is he going to go too far for Ishmael? Because Ishmael's like, uh, at a certain point, I got to make some money and like leave you to your own devices. And remember, it is a witch house and there is a demon witch. How does all of this connect? If you're the living, don't go into the land of the dead. Is that the lesson here? I thought this was okay. I just wasn't moved. And then we have the final two episodes. The first is the viewing, which might be the most distinctive of all of these uh, episodes. My gosh. Because this is set in 1979. 
like it has this psychedelic kind of feel. The colors are different. The sandy images that they did for this, which were all appropriate. And the story is there are four people who are invited to a mansion by a wealthy man. They don't know each other. They don't know what they've been invited for. They do figure out that they all have been late night talk show guests. Now, each of them has a specialty that they're known for. One is a psychic, one is a musician, one is a writer, and the other is an astrophysicist. So they get to this wealthy man, and who is playing him? Peter Weller. Now, if you don't know Peter Weller, do you know RoboCop? I think you do. Mm-hmm. Drop it. <laughs> <laughs> so he is this wealthy dude. Oh, my gosh. And he has this doctor who's with him all the time, played by Sophia Utella. And she's cooking up potions and powders and everything else for him to snort and inject. And he wants his guests to do the same because there's an item he needs them to inspect. And they've got to be all on the same wavelength. Okay? Now, is this the trip they were expecting? This was disgusting. I just will say it that way. A lot of this stuff is disgusting like graveyard rats. It should be. You know, this... You'll see what comes of all of this. The thing goes into a sewer, comes out. I, look, I don't want it in the sewer or anything else. Even mm. a sewer, I don't want it to be in. Ugh. Mm. This, to me, of the final four episodes is the best. Mm. Yeah. So I would put this fifth on my list of eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was something. <laughs> I don't it wasn't worth taking. I don't know, but it was something. I won't forget it. <laughs> You'll see. Final episode, the murmuring. Now, the murmuring is about birds. And we're in a period piece episode here again. We have a married couple. Um, and that married couple is played by Essie Davis and Andrew Lincoln. Yes, Rick from The Walking Dead is here. And, you know, they're interested in birds. The flying patterns of birds. This is when this stuff was new, when you could finally capture the sound and the look of them. You know, they present it to, you know, all of these well-to-do people and they ooh and ah. They're getting money from Cornell University to continue the work. And that's what they do. And they end up in a haunted house while they're doing it. Now, this couple has experienced a tragic loss that they're still grieving, but they're grieving it in different ways. What does that mean? Can they resolve that? Or is the haunting just going to pull them further apart? Because one of the main things here is freedom. That's what the birds represent to the wife. What about to the husband? So this wraps up the eight. I thought I wouldn't have ended it here. Mm. Didn't quite do it. There needed to be more momentum. It just felt a bit empty to me. Mm. None of this is bad. But, you know, whenever we talk about things like this, again, going back to The Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Tales from the Crypt, it's always spotty. It depends. And that's the same thing here. I do have to say, though, it does have good energy for the Halloween season. It makes sense there. The stuff that works really does work. It's just top heavy, which is unfortunate. Um, Also, I wish, producer, that they had a humorous episode. That's what I would have ended it with. I was Mm. anticipating it. I was waiting for it. Where's the funny? Like, there is some funny in Graveyard Rats because it's so disgusting that it's funny. The viewing is a different kind of disgusting. I wasn't laughing at that at all. Mm. Um, You know, because in the Graveyard Rats, look, he gets this jewel. And I'm going to tell you, did I talk about Graveyard Rats? So 
I don't think so. Yeah, that was number two. So let me go back and do that. Mm-hmm. That was number two paired with Lot 36 mm-hmm. on the first day. So Graveyard Rats. Look, there's this man who works at the graveyard, of course. I was called to my brother when I was describing this. I was like, you know, he's a, a grave digger. And then I started talking about how he was robbing it. You mean, you mean a grave robber? I'm sorry to all the graveyard diggers out there doing great, honest work. My apologies. So he essentially intercepts people robbing a grave and takes it for himself. He's in the teeth. If they're gold teeth, he wants them. Because just like uh, Tim Blake Nelson in Lot 36, he owes money. Mm-hmm. But the rats want it. <laughs> and they're going to pull that body into the earth to their lair but he's going down there with them and what does he find that's the question but there's a particular jewel he wants but this jewel is wanted by an entity who goes mine mine so when I was talking about the first four episodes that's included Mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah, that gate, I laughed out of disgust. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go with this. A mixed bag, yes. Is it worth it? If this is your kind of thing, of course, I mentioned the shows that would be a signal for whether you'd like it or not. There we go. Mine. Mm. Mine. It sounds very appropriate for Halloween. Um <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have uh, Prime Video's The Devil's Hour, which premieres Friday, October the 28th. So um, let's assume this has something to do with The Devil's Hour. Um, Who's in it? And who Mm. should be watching it? What is The Devil's Hour? Do you know, producer? I don't know. Word on the street is that it's between 3 and 4 a.m. That's right. Mm -hmm. And of course, that plays a role here. Yeah. Now, if there is a devil, hour. does mm-hmm. the devil have an hour? And why would it be 3 to 4 a.m.? I'm just like, okay. I think he's I resting. Who... That's his resting. That's it's like his tea hour. That's like his siesta hour. That's, yes. that's what I think it is. Right. Okay, thank you. The devil having tea. Well, appreciate that image. <laughs> <laughs> All you artists out there, you know. <laughs> there you go. So here's what's happening. We're in England. And we start in an interrogation room. Now, we come to find that the person doing the interrogating, her name is Lucy. And Lucy is played by Jessica Rain. Hmm. Lucy's talking to somebody, some man. Why? Is she like a detective? We come to find out, no, she's not. She's a social worker. You know, she's like one of the managers of uh, children's services. How'd she get an interrogation room? (laughs) She's having some problems, okay? She wakes up at 3.33 in the morning every single day. Why? Is she having nightmares? Is it deja vu? Are there visions? She has them during the day as well. She keeps seeing like this teddy bear that's bloodied, a little girl, you know, little kids' drawings that aren't really there on the you know, a uh, refrigerator. What's going on with her? She even says at a certain point, I'm insane. Mm. 
So the first time she wakes up, you know, she goes to the kitchen because everybody does this in movies and TV shows. You wake up in the huff and you go to the kitchen, you know, get something. <laughs> I've never done that before, baby. You I'm gonna say in just, real life, I've never yeah. done that either. Never, never gotten up like that, you know, in a sweat and go. Let me, let me walk myself to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. So she goes in to get like a glass of water, or whatever, and someone appears, drops the glass, shatters. Who is this someone? Her young son Isaac. This is the kind of kid you go, what planet is he from? Because I'm not going. <laughs> is he sleepwalking? He's just standing there. She talks to him. He doesn't say anything. That's what you think. No. No. This little boy, while silent, is observant. He is aware. Emotionless, yes. Aware, yes. So she's like, oh my gosh, you scared me. No reaction. And we come to find out that she's been taking him to expert after expert to figure out what's going on with this little boy. Remember, she's in children's services. She should know what to do. No one has an answer. All of the usual suspects have been ruled out. So they're at a new therapist. And, you know, she does certain things to try to get into Isaac's head. Because Lucy is like, hey, you know, he has imaginary friends. What does he say to that? You know, she's like, right, Isaac? That's Isaac. And we find whatever condition he has, he cannot lie. Like, literally, he can't tell a lie. So if he says there's a man there, there's a man there, even if you can't see him. He's also the kind of kid, is, is, you go, you know, I love you, Isaac. And he'll say, I love you, Isaac, back. Help mommy with the groceries, Isaac. Help mommy with the groceries, Isaac. Now, in school, is he bullied? You know he is. But what does that look like? And how does he respond? He cannot tell a lie. Mm -hmm. Now, Lucy also has a mother who is suffering from dementia. She visits her. You know the common thing. But this mother's disturbed, too. And we see in flashbacks what she went through. Didn't I say before, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? Mm. Now, is this family's tree rotten to the core, like Joe Clark said, or something else? Okay. Now, in another plot line, there are detectives, two of them. And one of them can't stand the sight of blood. I mean, he's been doing this for almost a year. His partner's like, uh, by this time, you should be <laughs> acclimated to it. <laughs> are you okay? He's like, yeah, all right. And that detective, the one who's having problems with the blood, is played by Nikesh Patel. And what they're investigating are some murders. Don't let me go into my murderer opera again. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let me do it. <laughs> so what they find is they finally get into this killer's lair, or they, the alleged killer. And there's all of this stuff on the walls, like we know names and places and everything else they got to investigate these people so how does that connect to lucy's storyline is the question and there is a character played by peter capaldi what's he doing now remember peter capaldi was one of the doctors in doctor who and this makes sense because the executive producer of this series is Stephen Moffat, creator of Doctor Who and Sherlock and all of that stuff mm -hmm. the creator of the show by the way is tom moran 
So, okay, Peter Capaldi is here with his deep voice doing all of that stuff. You'll see. And this is the kind of show you got to pay attention to because you're going to be going, what is going on? Like, for instance, Lucy has this man in her bed who loves her. Who is he? Where's Isaac's father? Right? She talks about this ex. What's that about? You just got to keep watching. Now, Prime has made the first two episodes available for review. I've seen those two. After the first episode produced, I went, let's move on to the next one. We got it going. I don't quite know what's going on here all the way, but I want to find out. Let's do it. And again, this is another Halloween season kind of thing. Perfect timing. All right. Second episode, I went, oh, not bad, but I'm feeling the milking. You got six episodes. You might have needed four. I don't know. I haven't finished it, but that's how it feels to me because they start, you know, revealing things at a trickle. We start seeing Lucy's work. There is a mother she's taking care of. The mother is threatened by the husband, I guess, the father of the kid. What comes of that? How's that attached to the visions? We need to move it along a little more. We need a little more here. However, it is a thriller. It has just the right amount of spookiness for this season. I think that that's going to work. You get the atmospheric music and everything else along with it. I think that Lucy and Isaac, that whole dynamic, there's a lot to mine there. And that little boy playing little Isaac, I don't know where they found this kid. Mm-mm. Too good. Mm. I mean, he will literally look at her like, <laughs> okay. He's like, don't look at me. Yeah, there is somebody standing there. <laughs> he's not saying it. That's what he's thinking. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, like, the casting is wonderful, all of that. Had no problems with it. It's just, again, is it going to be too many episodes? We'll find out. So, there you go. I think if you're interested in this kind of thing, definitely start it. Mm-hmm. I will be watching episode three when it's available. Cool. All right. Guys, that's that's why I watch that. I guess we'll call this the Halloween edition. And um, between TVs and movies, there's literally something for everyone. There's some disgusting stuff. There's some stuff that uh, is a curated collection of Hitchcock-esque content. What else we got? Got people in basements eating well. Yes. Yeah, we got little boys that's... Eating well, yes, because... <laughs> He's a foodie, that guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm. We, got, we got everything. So, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Why Watch That, where we scour content and help you to figure out things that you'll love to watch. Until next time. Thanks for joining us. For up to date info and to share what's on your watch list, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Why Watch That, and on Twitter at WWT Radio. Also, you can visit us at whywatchthat.com. And while you're at it, don't forget to go ahead and rate Why Watch That Radio on iTunes. Let's keep the conversation going.